Welcome to Tea Talk. All of life flows from the spiritual center of the culture. If this center is healthy, the culture becomes healthy. Tea Talk is a time of intrigue, investigation, insight, and inspiration, enabling you on your life's journey. Invest in your future by gleaning from today's session. All right, here's Nehemiah's key to his for motivation, his starting movement, all right? Okay, first of all is identification. Identification. In order to identify, identify with, with uh, uh, in order to have identification, you got to walk with those that follow. You got to walk with those that follow. I know guys that come in, they do their thing, and they leave. And the followers, all they do is talk about what they did. They never talk about who they are. You see, you don't know the depth of a person's message until you understand the character of that person. And you only know the character of that person when you walk together. Okay? Uh, notice what else. Nehemiah expanded the heart of the follower. Guess what, guys? The wall's torn down, but God sent me here. And guess what? Man, we are going to rebuild this wall. We're going to do it together. And notice, in the whole rebuilding process, Nehemiah never picked up a tool. I like that kind of leadership. Okay, moving along here, okay. All right, but notice what he did. He gave ownership to the followers. In other words, this is not my wall. This is not my church. This is not my business. This is God's business, but you are a part of it, so I want to include you in my discussions of what's going on, etc., etc. When you identify with a problem, you encourage a movement. Remember Daniel? He says, God, we have sinned. Daniel chapter 9, when he's praying and interceding before God, he says to God, God, we have sinned before you. Yeah. We all have done it. I'm included, God. I'm the also involved there. See, it's not they. You know, we hear that a lot, you know. Okay, identification. All right. Second of all, no condemnation. No condemnation. Uh, the Hebrew definition of condemnation means to do or to be declared wrong. Okay. But the Greek, it means to give judgment against. See, condemnation, uh, you feel guilty. You know, uh, we're always getting condemnation off of us. You know, feeling guilty, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation only reminds you what you do wrong. But conviction tells you what you do wrong and gives you a solution. That's the difference. Okay, all right. Negative talk. Uh, struggling, making decisions when the condemnation rules. Uh, emotionally drained is another sign that we're ruled by condemnation. Uh, confusion is another sign of condemnation. Uh, feeling unworthy is another sign. And then wrong decisions that depress you. Man, I'm not going to make it. So as a result, you stop making decisions. Because, man, about the time I make a decision, I realize I made the wrong decision. And so depression sets in, and here comes that condemnation again. That's just kind of touching on that, okay? All right, another thing about starting a movement was representation. Representation. To the world, the Lord didn't care and was powerless to help. I like this. Man, that wall has been like that for 40 years. That wall has been like that for 20 years. 
I mean, God doesn't care about your wall. You know, don't worry about it. You know, you got your little old temple built over here. You know, you're having spiritual calisthenics and you're going through all that kind of stuff. But he said, God doesn't worry about it. God knew that it wasn't complete. I like this one. Remember, remember the children of Israel at the Red Sea? Yeah, I like this. And they turn around and look up and here's, here's Pharaoh. They look around and here's the Red Sea. Pharaoh, Red Sea. Pharaoh, Red Sea. What does God say? I got you right where I want you. How many have ever been in one of those experiences? Now, like this, Moses, Moses, what are we going to do? There's Pharaoh, there's the Red Sea. How, what are we going to do? You brought us out here to die. And I like Moses, man, the old Charlton Heston voice. Stand still and see the salvation of God. And then he turns around to God and he goes, oh my God, what are we going to do? How many have ever been in that boat? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what am I going to do now? I've already put the word out there, you know. And God said, what's that in your hand? I don't know, but man, make it work. You know, we know the story from there. Why? Because God cares, especially when we, when he, it's his movement that he's creating. It's what he's trying to do in this hour. All right. Okay. The next one is delegation. 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 Each was assigned a particular section on the wall. Um, recently, I was with a guy out in West Texas and we were talking and he was having some marital issues with his New wife, well, newer wife, other wife, I'll put it that way. And uh, he said, I don't understand. The Bible says she's supposed to be a helpmate. I said, well, what do you want her to do? He said, I want her to be a helpmate. I said, I understand that, but what do you want her to do? He goes, be a helpmate. I said, well, what's that look like? He says, well, being a helpmate. I said, so you don't know what a helpmate does? He goes, what does that help me do? <laughs> I said, obviously that's what the trouble is. He said, well, I want her to help me. I want her to support me. I said, she does support you. She goes to work every day so you guys can have groceries on the table. He got real quiet on the other side of the vehicle. I thought he was going to say, stop the vehicle. I want to walk, you know, uh, but he didn't. You know, he kept right in there. And I said, I said, here's the difference. I said, what we have what we have come to believe in the helpmate concept is, I want somebody to help me to do what I want to do. When God, the better word should be, God gave me a partner. And what I can't do, she can do. And what I can do, she maybe cannot do. And we're in this thing as partners together. That's the power of agreement, as a partner, one with another. And I said, so you need to thank God that she's doing her part. Not what she's not doing for you. Is she doing her part in the union that brings glory and honor to God? That's good. He goes, I never thought of that way. I saw I can tell. <laughs> what hard for me to figure that out, you know. I, you know, and they, so so each one has a particular part, a particular place. That's why here, yes, we have leadership, but the truth is the body is partners, one with another. My my foot has to have the leg. The leg has to have the torso. My arm has to have the torso. My fingers have to have the hand. On and on and on. Why? Because each part, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, plays a significant, a significant detail in order to achieve what God wants us to achieve. So it's not they're having a movement, it's we're having a movement. 
Now, everybody responds to a movement different. Some are all excited and they're all over the place and they're dancing and shouting, screaming, speaking in tongues, yelling, screaming. Others are just standing there, but they're doing their part. See? All right? Don't do what others are capable and willing to do. This is called mentoring. Some of you need to have somebody beside you and say, this is why I do this. This is why I do that. This is why I achieve this, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Choose duties that can be assigned to others. Select appropriate people to handle the task. Let me say this way. The gifts should run the church if we're going to rebuild paradise. The gifts of God should run the church if we're going to rebuild paradise. Not the professionals, the gifts. It says he gave gifts unto mankind. That's why I spend a lot of time and probably the greatest spiritual warfare that I encounter is when I'm teaching on the gifts. On the gifts. Why? Because once you get in your place, you understand what it means to be in Christ. In Christ is not this etheric concept. It's what he's put in you to achieve his purposes on the earth. Okay? All right. Another area here is what I call concentration. Concentration. Three ways man destroys his life. Number one, be lazy and do nothing. Y'all know anybody like that? Concentration. Okay? Another way is give yourself to the wrong goals of life. Work at it. Then at the end, do what you really wanted to do all your life. I tell people, listen, why do you go work eight hours of something you hate to go home and work 10 hours of something you love? Get so good at what you love that they will pay you to work eight hours in the daytime so you can perfect the other 10 hours what you love. Does that make sense to you? See, in other words, you've got things in you that's designed to advance mankind on the earth. God doesn't want you to flip hamburgers at McDonald's. He wants you to run McDonald's. Okay, y'all looking at me rather strange. All right, but anyway, I'll give you the idea. All right, now look at this. Give yourself, uh, giving yourself to many things and really doing nothing. In other words, there's, I find it hard to find that there's a jack of all trades. See, I tell churches, Paul said, this one thing I do. Paul was horrible man. He said, this one thing I do, then he names two things. <laughs> so I'm forgetting those things behind, but in his mind, that was one thing. Forgetting those things behind, and I'm what? Pressing on to the high calling questions. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things that are behind. You see, it's not the many things that you're called to do. It's the one or two things that you can do excellently. See, some churches, they're excellent in worship. Some churches are excellent children. Some churches are excellent at outreach. Some churches are excellent at marketplace in the, in the community. So, I think when we find those things that God has for us, all of a sudden now, it gives us the ability to concentrate. Let me give you an example. When I pastored in we found out that our primary thing was children. I mean, we had a 
ton of children. And so what we did is we designed a children's hour. We designed, designed children's vacation Bible schools. We designed children outreaches. Everything around children. We did a lot for children. We had Because we had a bunch of children. Uh, we did apartment outreaches to children. And what did we do? The more we concentrated on that, the others came. The youth, the parents, the grandparents, music, all that kind of stuff. It started coming into our church. Why? Because we focused. And as we focused on that, all the other things were here. See? And so when we concentrate, you see, the, here, here's some steps you need to take. Ask yourself this question. What's the next step? What is the next step? Okay? And then... When you do, what is this, uh, what is the way for that next step to be handled? Okay? And see, and so all of a sudden now, we're starting to get ourselves into a place of concentration. And then the next area here that he has up here is cooperation. Cooperation. They all worked side by side and were from many backgrounds. Uh, John said to me last night, he taught on the parable of the sower. And we talked about seed and all that type of stuff. And I wrote down something here. The right soil, as well as the right seed, it produces the expected fruit. See, in other words, when we have the right seed, we got, if you're a corn, uh, uh, a corn silo, then don't put tomatoes in there. You know, if you're a wheat silo, you know, don't put barley in there. You know, whatever your seed is here, that's the fruit that you're going to produce, see? See, and so, so you've got to determine what is our, what is, we've got the right soil. We've prepared the soil with your prayer and your worship and, and your ministry and all that kind of stuff. You have the right soil, but now that you have the right seed, okay, then, you're, then your expectation has changed now from expectation to anticipation because if I put tomato seed in the ground, I'm not expecting corn. I'm anticipating what? Tomatoes. See, same thing, same principle happens here. All right. Okay, and then the last one I give you is commendation. Job well done. Verse uh, 20 says that they had what they had earnestly done. Uh, they did more than one section. Uh, the extra length on the wall, verse 13, and they worked alone, but they worked together at the same time. In other words, commendation is celebrate your victories. Um, I want to say this, and I'll come and teach on this sometime. The greatest discouragement comes after the greatest encouragement. And some churches and groups never recover. Never. I'll say it again. The greatest discouragement comes after the greatest encouragement. Alright? Why? Because we prepare going in. We are in the event itself and enjoying what we prepared for, but we never prepare afterwards. So what happens? The enemy comes in, man, and he steals from a lot of them. What does it say? As soon as the word is put in, the enemy comes and steals the word. Alright? Then all of a sudden, the things of the world begin to attack you. You know, fatigue begins to hit you physically. You know, uh, 
cares of this life are gone. All these things, all of a sudden now, they begin to bombard us right after the greatest encouragement. Why? Because the enemy knows that if he can keep that seed from taking root, then he stopped the process. See, and so, so I, that's why I said have a season to celebrate. We used to do two gatherings, and I'm, I'm finishing with this. We used to do two gatherings every year. One was in the spring, one was in the fall. And uh, after it, we learned this lesson the hard way because after we would have the greatest time, I mean, healings and deliverances and prophetic flow, all that kind of stuff. I mean, for the next three months, our services were as flat as could be. The people come in like they were in a daze. They come in, they look like they're all tired, worn out. Everything, you know, on and on and on and go. And just, I mean, I just, and I couldn't, I went to the Lord and the elders, we went to the Lord and we cried out to God and said, God, what is the deal here? And the Lord took us and began to show us how the life of, of, of Joseph and the life of others, that they went into it, they got into it, but that how they came out of it. And so as soon as we would finish that, then all of a sudden now we minimize preaching. We minimize heavy teaching. And we did a lot of celebration. We just sometimes we come in and just worship the Lord and just blow with whatever God was doing at that particular time. No heavy preaching. We come in and we we'd have testimonies and we'd have, you know, I come in and bring a real light word if that's possible for me. But we bring a, a light word into them and, and God's on your side. And and boy, we would celebrate the victories, and all of a sudden we found that that minimized it. We cut that thing off and then all of a sudden we saw what we got in the event. All of a sudden now it started taking root in the people. Why? Because we were we had it planted in the event but we forgot to water it coming out. And what I've seen in a lot of places, a lot of churches have conferences. Man, they gear up. They, they, they get everything ready. The people are, are of one mind, one heart, one spirit. They get in. God moves, etc., etc. And as soon as it's over, it's like... I am so glad that's over. No, that's the time to water. That's the time we got to water. And we got to figure out how we water. You know why? Because just by having the event doesn't mean God brings the increase. He says, He said, I plant, but Apollos waters, but God brings the increase. And we've lost a lot of things in our church conferences because we had no watering and God couldn't increase us because we had no water. Movement, mass movement, mass movement. What happens in a mass movement? A mass movement, a lot of times it converts over to our individual desires in a movement. Um, it, the movement then passes from the energy stage and it peaks at a certain height. See, we got movement, we're going into momentum, we're building, we're building, we're building, but it, at some point it reaches its peak, that particular movement and momentum. What happens is we've reached the goal now. This is the goal. This is what we started into this movement for, the goal, all right? Then all of a sudden, our world is now a new world. We can't think, we can't live our life based on where we started into this movement. We have to live our life based on the new world that God's introduced it to us. And so what happens is, I'm trying to give this to you, we possess 
and we begin to preserve this present stage, we don't want another movement. So we start camping here. We start setting up things here. All of a sudden now, it stops the movement because we've taken possession of the movement. We said, tell everybody, the movement was God. You know, this is God moving in our midst. The momentum is there. The Holy Spirit's doing things. And all of a sudden now, we get to that point on that summit, and we peeked out, and then guess what? All of a sudden now, we start looking for our own individuality of how and what this will do for me. And when that happens now, no longer are we interested in the movement. We're only interested in advancing, I could use the word, my own career in the spirit. And so all of a sudden now we take possession of that. Leadership takes possession. No longer can we have the apostles in. No longer can we have the prophets in. Or if they come, they got to prophesy or they got to say nice things and things like that. When the prophet needs to come in and give us declaration into where we need to start for the next movement again. Amen, amen. When it stops, all of a sudden now, what happens? We take possession and we start preserving what we've had here. Guess what? Now we shift from a movement to an institution or an enterprise. And the minute it becomes institution, you've already signed the death certificate on that particular thing. Are you with me? Now let me give you an example. All of us are very familiar, and I'm finished with this, okay? I've said it three times, haven't I? So I'm a good preacher here. Now, the Brownsville outpouring in Pensacola, Florida. Two years before that event happened, I had a friend of mine that Kilpatrick called him and said, God said he's bringing a movement in our church. And he said that I am to prepare the men before this movement will happen. And he said, I need you to come twice a year and I need you to just have a weekend with just the men. And so he went everywhere. He said, man, God was doing some things in those men. Well, not the women couldn't do anything, but for this particular one, it was the men. That's what God said. On Father's Day, a month before that, maybe two months before that, Kilpatrick was so depressed he was ready to quit the ministry. And the day that it broke up, Steve Hill was there. Y'all know the story. Steve Hill was there. That day was going to be Kilpatrick's last day. That's how dark it was for him. And that Sunday, boom, the Brownsville thing broke out and it started moving. And y'all know the story from there. It rocked along. I can't remember how many years or not, but there was a guy named Brown. And Brown went to the leadership. Well, what they did, Kilpatrick did, because he was Assembly of God, he went and he turned the revival over to Assembly of God leaders. Well, the problem was, is that the Assemblies of God had written an official paper that says, apostles and prophets are not for today. That's an official paper. Yeah, yeah official paper. So the very thing that got the movement there now they were cutting off. 
So what happens is, is that Brown comes to them and says, we need to bring prophets back in and apostles back in so we can know the next step of what God wants to do to keep this thing going. And they go, no, we don't need that. God wants to move, God can move. But they didn't know where to go with it. And it had peaked. And when it did, it signed its death certificate and it went just like that. Movements come and go. You go through the scripture, you can read them. Movements come and go. You go through history and you'll see. Azusa Street, it lasted maybe 14 years. Okay, Azusa Street, the real impact of Azusa Street. But the things that happened at Azusa Street, same thing began to happen. Man got in, took possession of it. And what do they do? They started taking on the name of what the world called them instead of just doing what God was moving them to do. I can take you to all the denominations there. I can take you to churches. Man, there was a church up in Dallas called Church on the Rock. You know, move mighty of God. They had something like 12 services a day every Sunday. 12 services. They were moving with God. See? And then they did something that signed the death certificate. And next thing you know, the pastor himself is totally out of the ministry. In fact, I'll put, I can even go deeper than that. He became an alcoholic. See, God wants to bring moves, but he doesn't want us to live in the move. He wants to move. He wants us to live in the God of the move. And we're talking now about rebuilding paradise. I'm giving you some things today. That there is an enemy, and I think sometimes we take it too light, but I want to tell you, Satan is God's enemy, but God will use his own enemies to get us to a place where we are moving with him. Mm -hmm. I know that's not real faith type preaching stuff that we hear nowadays, but I'm telling you, you go to the scripture and you'll see time and time again how God used his enemies to get his people Thank you for joining today in your pursuit of perfection and peace of mind. For more experienced and valuable choices, visit our website, terrylthompson.org. Stay connected for more life-changing and reliable systems of thought and renewal.